All right. Listen, we are continuing our series, The Promised Land. It just feels like we're kind of getting to the end of summer. I don't want to say that too loudly, but it's feeling that way, isn't it? But this has been a really good series as we've been going through the book of Joshua. And, you know, this morning, I just, and, you know, we, you, we do kind of coordinate a little bit, like, you know, our worship leaders and things at times kind of, okay, what's the message going to be about? And we ma- try to match songs or that. But I just thought the, the word that, that Hillary shared was just so lining up to even where I really think we're going to be going here today uh, in, in, in the message. And I appreciate Andy coming again from, from part of our network of churches with CTK. And you've you kind of been a traveling one-man band lately, haven't you, Andy? You know, and, and the only thing it's, you know, you do all that you do. I'm very disappointed you don't have the harmonica strapped to you. If you could add that next time, I mean, you know, I don't want to, you know, make, you know, just, just some expectations there doing that. I just, Chewing gum and walking for me is about my coordination, so I'm really impressed with that. But I really appreciate your heart sharing with us this morning and leading us in a time here. If, if you're online with us, it's great to have you here today as well as we're here in person, wherever you're watching. We're hoping that you're, I guess, in, I hope you're focusing in a bit. I hope that you're taking some time to be able to um, put aside anything you need to get out of the way so that you could just really listen in what God has for you. There might be some things that I'll say today that you feel like the Lord's speaking. But the other thing I would say is sometimes there's things that I, it's not coming from a human voice. God just speaks to you. So let's be ready and let's be open. There's, there's a place in your program there you can take some notes uh, to follow along as we jump into this series. But I want to start off at where we're in the series. I want to start off with a question this morning that it's, I have to admit, I've been asking myself, and it's not, it's not really like, I'm really not say proud of the question, but it's just a real question. It's a question that, I don't know, maybe because I'm asking, I feel like I'm getting the second half of my life. Maybe it's a midlife crisis question, but it also can be a question that we can ask like after high school or after college, and it's really kind of when we look back on those experiences and in what we've experienced in life, it, it's something that we we can wonder at times where we're at is, is this, this is a question, is the best days behind me? Are the best days behind me? Now, I don't know if you've asked that lately. I've been asking that question a little bit. And it's really this idea of like, you know, where I've experienced success and satisfaction. And in some ways, I'm have I peaked? Is this it? Now, some of you would look at me, especially those who are older, like, you got a long life to live, young man. You know, you got lots of time ahead. There's going to be, you know, you're going to, you, you got more ahead. It's not, it's, this isn't it. And yet, though, in our lives, we can experience a lot, a lot of blessing, absolutely. But there's a lot that we can go through when we experience life. This last, now, three years, you know, I've had 10 deaths in the family. You know, eight services I did, I officiated for. It's just like, you know, cousin Danny will do the service. That's, the, you know, a nephew, right? That, that's kind of the role that I have. And each time there's loss after loss after loss. Some, some wonderful aunts and uncles have passed away. And cousins even, my, my own generation have passed away. We've had 
transition. Our daughter, she's going to go off to college here soon. We're going to be empty nesters. So transition happens. Loss happens. And just like what Hillary shared, there's some tragic things that go, that go on. And, and the best that we had, and, and even in kind of the times of maybe a downturn or even a kind of place of dor- dormancy, you can ask the same thing. It's like, yes, things were great in the past, but, but and, and God brought us through and did incredible miracles. And it was just, he's so faithful and he's so good. And everything that we we sang this morning, but we can kind of feel like, is this it? And I think we've kind of been asking this in the last 18, 19 months is, is it going to get better? You know, we're, we're inching our way and then a few steps back and, you know, it, it's, it's, is there going to be change that's happening? Is it going to be better than it will be before? And I think, again, we kind of say, oh, it's going to be. We trust in the Lord, it's going to be. But when we're going through it at times, it doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always feel that way. And yes, God has worked through struggles and, like, and even battles. Last week we were, we were talking about the battle of Jericho. And our, our own Joshua, Josh Lease, shared, did a fantastic job unpacking the book of Joshua and talked about us going in circles and how it, sometimes you feel like you're just going in circles and yet it's the steps of obedience that leads to the victory. But what happens when you're on the other side of victory? What happens when you have the win? What's next? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. As the city is left in rubble, this new generation is now literally, and we've talked about building up to it, is now actually possessing the land, the promised land. And Israel now is a force to be reckoned with. In fact, in, in the end of Joshua 6, this is the last verse, 27, it says this, this summarizes this massive victory of Jericho. It says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Fame. Do you want, anybody want some fame? Want some, is somebody like, I'll take the fortune, not the fame, right? Uh, it be, but because fame is kind of a double-edged sword. It, it's having to live up to something that people maybe put you in a pedestal. That you're, you're known in your reputation, you gotta live up to that. But all, as you feel, you could feel that pressure of fame. Also, there is a place that comes to fame that somehow at the end of the day, you got yourself there. And here's Joshua's, they're labeling him that he's famous and, and the people are famous and that, and that it's spread, the word spread, the reputation spread throughout the land. And it leads up to this question because when you come on the other side of victory, is this the last victory? Is, is what you experienced in the past, is, have you peaked? Have you reached that? Is the best days and really this is where we'll find is, it's a conception of the question of, 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 of fame is, is is this the best there is? Is this the best there is in life? How many know we can learn a lot from the losses in our life? We can learn a lot from the failures, but we also need to pay attention to the wins. We can kind of spend time learning from failure and everything, but we can gloss over the fact that there's times that we experience wins, and if we're not careful, it can get the best of us. And we miss these teachable moments. And that seemed to be, as we're looking at, literally a fatal flaw for Joshua and for others here. Because look what it says after this quick switch to fame. It says, so Lord was Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. Look at the next chapter's verse, the first verse of chapter 7. 
It says this, but the, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Now, we're going to talk here in a moment about the devoted things. It's very key to understand what this is. But look what's happening is this next generation was not learning the lesson of winning. And it was going to cost them. Look at the next, last part of this verse. It says this, Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zermai, and the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Took some of them was, take some of these devoted things. It's what was going on here. It's a summary of a spiritual condition that ends up being very individualized in this person of Achan that we're going to look at here in a few moments. But what went wrong? You've got you to think about this. From the last verse of the chapter before to the first verse of the next chapter where it says the Lord was with Joshua and the people of Israel. To the next verse is verse that says the Lord's anger burned against them. What happened? Why could it be such a, a change that happened? Well, what we look next, what we find is this, and we'll get to the, the source, but the response of winning was this. We got to get the next win. Man, that was a great victory. Now we're on to the next one. And Joshua's like, who are we taking on next? And they, they come to this, this town, and it's, it's a little that what they find, he sends some spies out there to check it out. And he goes, well, they come back, and there's, there, there's this little town called Ai, which, you know, two letters. It, that's all it is. It's a small little town. And, 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 and they say to Joshua, you don't have to send the entire army. Just send a regiment. Just send, just send the practice squad in. Send the rookies in. And so what does Joshua do? Well, he goes before the Lord. Nope. He says, all right, send, send the JV in. We'll just send a few down there. And you know what ended up happening? They got their rear handed to them. Let's just say that. They ended up getting defeated by this small little group. In fact, this is what scripture says. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. Here, this mighty Israel, whose fame was throughout the land, supposedly, guess what happens to what they felt? What Israel felt was, at this time, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. They were the ones. They were the ones that were, were forced to be reckoned with. They were the ones that, that actually, people were fear of them. Now they're in troubled and they're in this great fear that came over them. They were fame one day and in shame the next day. What really happened? Well, we're going to look at that here in a moment. But imagine the locker room talk after the game. Coach Joshua gets them together. What does he say to them? Well, guys, you know, ladies and gentlemen, let's just, we'll, let's just go to the, we'll, just, we'll take that as a hit. We'll go on to the next not, that's not the response. It says this, that Joshua tore his clothes, fell down, face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. Okay? Kind of look at that like, eh, it's kind of poor losers, right? I mean, you look at that, you're like, what is the deal with that? Well, it's an ancient custom of repenting. That's how you did that. But look at their, the reaction that they really had. Look at their emotions with this. It's actually more like complaining. As, as Hillary pointed out in reading, is, is really a, a lament that they, that Joshua 
expresses. He says this. He says, alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this, these people across the Jordan to deliver us in the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? What is Joshua doing? He's pinning it on the Lord. Like, God, you've taken us this far. You, 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 we had victory after victory after victory and miracles and everything. And here we are. Do you realize what people are talking about us now? We were the, 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 the top. We were the top of the game. We were the champions here. And now we're losers. And they're going to run our name through the mud. And they're going to mock us. And Lord, guess what? They're going to mock your name too. You're, you're not going to be as famous either. So he's kind of like, he's dissing God and complaining at the, the same time. And let's just be honest, there's just times where we can fill God's, you know, comment box online, you know, to heaven. We could just fill it, you know. We're not giving a good rating to God right now on Yelp, okay? There's just times we're going, God, I don't get it. I understand you brought us all this through, got us all the way there, got us at this place, and now, Lord, where are you? We can ask that question. Are the best days behind us? Is this it? Well, God answers Joshua. He tells them this. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. They are devoted things among you. There's the devoted things again. Well, it, it, this thing is a big thing. These devoted things, you need to understand, they're, they're the spoils of war. They're the plunder in which you get. And so when, when Jericho was in rubble, God says to him, listen, be careful. I'm, he gives a command. He says this, in, back in verse 18 of Joshua 6, tells him this. He says, but keep away from the devoted things so you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go in his treasury. What's happening is, it's God's battle. It's God's bank account. And you're not to take from what is God's. God earned it. God is the one that fought the battle. It is all his. Now, does God, does God need any of it? No, he owns it all, right? He, he's, he's the creator of the universe. He doesn't need it. But the people needed to give it to him. God recognized this. If he didn't put the limits on the looting, the motive of what they're getting was going to get skewed. If they just went in and plundered and took and took and took, they would make that the promised land would be about property and possessions. They would make it about the things rather than their devotion, be devoted to the things rather than devoted to him. And as 
followers of Jesus, we can get that messed up as well in our motive, can't we? We can begin to look and, and say, I'm going to seek after Jesus. But when we pursue Jesus, as much as there's so much that Jesus gives us, he gives us salvation, he gives us peace, he gives us his spirit and comfort. There's so much we benefit. Many times we make it about what God gives us. We, we seek Jesus' hand rather than seeking his heart. And and God is just making it clear, listen, what I want with you, what I desire for you is not what I'm giving you that's going to meet your needs, that's going to satisfy you. It's me. What did he say? I will always be with you. It, the, the, the promised land is not the possession of property and possessions. It's the possession of him, that his very spirit would be in them wherever they go. That was the promised land. And that's been our meta theme throughout this series, that we ourselves need to be careful of. If we don't, we can sway. And so we're going to look at this as well, what happened. See, God knew the, the sinful heart of man, and he, he, give, he gives him this issue. He says this, he says, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Remove the, the devoted things. The things that were the thing that they put into and devoted themselves and specifically one particular person and that's represented actually to everyone in the whole nation. And so what Joshua does is he, he basically, this whole nation, he has tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family investigated. And finally they found out who it was. It was this guy named Achan. In Hebrew, I'll butcher it, but it's Hakan, okay? We'll stick with Aiken because, well, we live in the county, okay? So we'll, we'll go with that title. Um, it's easier to say. It says that Joshua said to Aiken, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide from me. Aiken replied, It's true, I've sinned against the Lord. And well, sure enough, you can read in verse 25, Joshua said, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you. And what we read is, is that Achan is convicted of his sin. Not just himself is put to death, but his entire family. And when we find that, we'll come back to this, that seems so harsh. That seems so brutal. Really, it's just this one guy that did this. Oh no, there's, there's, it's all connected to a community. And that's what happens when one gets his eyes off the Lord, when one turns away from being devoted to the Lord to the devoted things. And we read that and you think, it's so harsh. You know, what, what, why does God have this in Scripture? Why did this happen? And, and what, what can we learn from this? Well, there's some things I want to talk about. And with pun intended, I'll say it this, that is we all have an aching heart. We all, it sounds like a country song. We, uh, we won't sing it. But it, we all have a heart that longs for more. We live in a sinful, broken world that we try to fill our aching heart. We try to fill our lives and, and, and bring fulfillment. It's never enough because we're seeking after the stuff, the devoted things rather than him. And we miss the promise, which is a relationship with him. So if your heart is longing, as my heart is longing at times for more, and, 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 and there's doubt that comes in, and there's challenges come in, and there's, there's crisis and, and, and loss and everything we're going through, and we look back and like, Lord, are we at the best days? Did we already experience it? Have we peaked? Is it too little, too late? Well, 
The answer is no, but let me give you some thoughts of lessons to learn from our aching heart to help us, help us not be so stuck in the past and looking back, but to work through our wants and our desires toward what really what the promise he has for us. The first is this, and learning from an aching heart is this, our overconfidence will cause us to coast in our, in our dependence on God. Our overconfidence will cause us to coast in our dependence on God. Yesterday, my son and I were golfing a bit, and it reminded me way back in the day, and, and if some of you are golfers, I want you to know I'm not one of them. I don't label myself a golfer. I, I golf occasionally, and there's a big difference of that. Uh, especially when, you know, years ago, I remember, you, you, maybe you have the one shot that you remember, that if you're a golfer, you, you know, and that mine was several years ago. I was in Idaho with some guys, and we were golfing, and, and I teed off, and it was just this unbelievable shot. I, I just, look back, I just, in, in fact, it went so far, it, it, you know, and, and the hole was straight ahead up a, a bluff, and I don't know, it wasn't 300, but it was, it was two something high, you know, it was really far away, and I, I hit the shot, again, this, I've never hit a shot like this before, like it was, and it landed right on the green. In fact, there was two people putting out and they went like this. They got mad, you know. And, I, and, I, and they're like, you know, later, like, why didn't you yell four? I'm like, well, I'm not used to yelling that, you know. And usually I yell four to the guy barbecuing on his deck. You know, I hit him at Raspberry Ridge, okay. That's, that's usually what happens. So I hit, you know, I, 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 this is shot and everything. And I tell you, though, that was like hole number two. Horrible golfing the rest of the way. I mean, at the point that I'm going to quit, like it was really bad, but I don't embarrass myself with my friends. And, I, and some of you, you know, find ways to grow in Jesus. Golf is not one of those things I learned. Some people are like, well, it's, it helps me get closer to the Lord and it humbles me. There's a lot of other things in life that humble me than golf. So I had to just make a decision. Am I going to be a golfer or am I going to be a better Christian? And I had to decide on that. Golfing wasn't going to help me that way. But I, I think for you, it's always baffling. After a great win, it can get to your head. After a great shot, after a great business deal, after a great win that we have in our lives, we have this temptation to get a little more overconfident, and what happens is we stop relying on God. And in our lives spiritually, we can, we can begin to coast, and it ends up costing us. Now, I know we can pin the, the issue of Achan on, on, on him and what he did, but I understand it was also on the watch of Joshua. And you know, you need to learn, even as in leaders and anything in life, that 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 early success is not always helpful. Early success can actually set up you, you up for future failure. I heard someone say recently in a conference that sometimes the speed of success can take you where your character can't sustain you. You can get so good at what you do so quickly, and we've seen a childhood actors and athletes, and we've seen a lot of different people. We, we've seen how people have slipped up. And, and what happened is fame can get a hold of you. And what happens is that is that you think where you ended up is how it was because of you and not of God and the grace that got you there. And what happens along the lines is that we underestimate the next battle. Just like they underestimated AI, this little puny village, and they got their, you know what, kicked on the way out. It can happen to us, right? It can happen to us. When we let our guard down, 
we can cut corners in integrity. When we put ourselves in this place, in a vulnerable place, we don't pay attention any longer to the enemy. And that's his great tactic. The devil himself will come and tempt us. He'll pull us away. And where we had our devotion to the Lord, it'll get us focused on the devoted things. I tell you, coasting causes compromise. And it's costly. See, in learning and working through an aching heart is this. If we're not careful, greed can overtake our gratefulness in, our, in God's goodness. If we're not careful, greed can overtake our gratefulness in God's goodness. That's what happened to Achan. In fact, he, he owned his own greed. He, he, he confessed it when he was caught. It says this, it's true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. Those were the devoted things that he had and because he coveted it. And these devoted things, some people have compared, and commentators compare them to the temptations that Jesus gave, experience and overcome. And I, I want to go there with that. If, I think this can be interesting. Is, you know, the plush Babylonian robe, it represented pleasure. Jesus overcame the temptation, the, the lust of the body, which is, which is hedonism. Silver also is, is also translated iron, represents pride. You know, silver and iron, you make swords and weapons from it. And so it's the pride of life that Jesus overcame the temptation, which is egoism. Gold represents power. Kings had massive amounts of gold to make, show how rich you are. Gold is this, is this representation where Jesus overcame the lust of the eyes, which is materialism. All these precious devoted things, could, we could try to fill them. We could try to fill our lives with power, with possessions, with, with uh, pride, or whatever you're trying to do that, and, and it will never be enough. The devoted things will never fill that need. In fact, Blaise Pascal puts it this way. He said, there's a, a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God and the creator made known through Jesus Christ. Blaze was a, you know, Renaissance philosopher, but he was a mathematician. He said, when you add up pride and you add up pleasure and you add up power, they're never going to be enough. They're never going to fill that God-shaped hole in your heart. But there's a deeper reason what's going on. It wasn't about the covetousness, though, though, though Achan admitted that. Why did he do that? Why would he go after it? Why would we exchange and pursue the devoted things rather than being devoted to the one that's given all that, all, all, everything to us? Well, I think this disobedience that happened is rooted in this distrust in God's goodness, in God's best. And there's this times when we go through struggle, loss, Downturn, nothing really, like nothing's really happening. And God, we go, God, where are you? There's this temptation to distrust God, and then therefore we take our lives in our own hands. What happens along the lines is we start grabbing onto what we think we need to hang on to. That's fear comes over us, and we tight grip it, and we better get what we're going to get. We better hold on to the spoils and the plunder of, of what this is, because in some ways, this is a great danger for us, is that we feel like we're entitled. We can work really hard. We can be very faithful. And even specifically, we can be faithful to the Lord and, and working in the church and serving and whatever we're doing. It doesn't seem like there's anything trickling down for us and the blessing we have. 
And in our faithfulness, we call ourselves faithful, but also pride can rise up and that we feel entitled that we should get more than what God's given us. And if God isn't going to give us what we need, we better find a way to get it. And that pathway around God's will is where the temptation to sin lies. That greed is rooted in the doubt that would eventually lead to the downfall. See, a lesson to learn and in our own aching heart is this. Our sin will catch up with us and will cause massive collateral damage. Our sin will catch up with us and will cause massive collateral damage. I remember playing basketball, you know, throughout my years. And, you know, at the end of the practice, after we had two hours of practice and we're just really, really tired. And, you know, part of the conditioning, the coach would say, hey, we need to run lines. And I remember running lines, you're just so, you're just so tired, and you're running the line, and, and you know, if you don't know what lines is, you're, you're, running, the, you're running the baseline, and you're, you're touching it, and you're running back, and you're going into the foul line, then you're running the center line, and you're running back, and then you get all the way back to the end, everybody's di- tired, and you just want the coach to blow the whistle and go to the showers. But, but the coach goes, oh, hey, second, we're going to run him again, because McAvoy didn't touch the line. Let me tell you what, you're not the favorite person in the locker room after what happened is one person messed up and everybody had to pay the price. Aiken thought, I'm just going to steal a little bit. Just just for me and no one else. I'm going to hide in my tent, isolate it. How many know your indiscretions are not isolated? It will affect the entire community around you. Everybody gets affected by your sin and my sin. He thought a little bit of looting wasn't really going to be a big deal. Nope. What it cost him, suffering cost him. Soldiers died. His own very family would be put to death, including himself. Can I tell you this? This is what sin does. This is what sin does. It It will take you further than you ever thought you would go. It will keep you longer than you ever thought you would even dream that you would you would stay. It will cost you more than you ever imagined to pay. And sin, left undealt with, it sinks a career. It, it snuffs out a friendship. It scorches a marriage. It, it, it brings this sabotage of distrust with your children. And what happened is, Achan never thought that would happen to him. He didn't. He didn't think that through. This is just an isolated event. No, it wasn't. It would affect everybody. And I tell you, some of us can be sitting here, maybe you're watching online, and maybe you've, you've said this before. You would say, well, that person did that. That would never happen to me. That is the dumbest thing you could ever say. The dumbest thing to say is that would never, ever happen to me. As soon as we say that, that's where pride settles in. As soon as we say that, that's where entitlement comes in. So somehow you're, you could beat the system. The Bible says your sins will find you out. Doesn't matter who you are, how much money you have. Doesn't matter how famous you are. Because here's a great situation that what, what seemed to be isolated affect entire community. And what happens is, because I don't think anybody does this. I don't think anybody wakes up one day and goes, you know what? I'm just going to blow my life up today. And, I'm gonna, and you know what? It's going to affect every. No, no one thinks that through. It's, it's gradual. It's progressive. 
and then it becomes lethal. What does the Bible say of, of sin? What's the, what do you earn out of sin? The wage of the sin is what? Death. It's, it's not always instant. It will kill at some point. And there'll be suffering. Sin destroys, not just individually in death, but death of a community. And that's what, what God was calling Joshua, saying, you are not going to find any more victory in your life. You're not going to be able to do, deal with anything ahead until you deal with this one thing. You need to deal with it. There's cancer in your camp, Joshua. You got to deal with it. Can I tell you this? That that's how God sees our sin. He wants to deal with it swiftly and thoroughly. See, a final lesson to learn in our aching heart is this. God means business because he desires nothing to come between us. God means business because he desires nothing to come between us. Scripture says that Achan and his entire family are taken out. This is what Joshua says. Why have you brought this... Um, um, trouble on us. The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all of Israel stoned him and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, this place has been called the Valley of Achar ever since. And, and read this again. Like the whole family? You know, we, we live in a very individualistic society that our problems are our problems and someone else's problem. We already experience a worldwide pandemic. We know we can affect one another. And that's what sin does. It spreads like wildfire. And God says, we got to nip it in the bud. And it's hard for us to think the entire family, this entire clan is put to death. And it's really just saying, I, God says, I mean business. You know, it's interesting, the pile of stones. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about stones and remembrance. We, we, I piled some rocks up here to remember some things. This is a, a remembrance as well. Not just remember what God had done, it's actually remembered what not to do next. It was a reminder. I want to ask you, what stones, what, what do you stones speak to people? Well, speak of don't do this life or it will be stones of honor. See, on top of all that, God has his ways. God means business with our sin. And I tell you, there's no compromise. God is a God of holiness and of justice. But we also know equally that God is a God of mercy and of grace. God of holiness and justice and God of mercy and grace. How do you reconcile that? Jesus. Jesus came, not only took our sin, Bible says became sin. Paul, Apostle Paul says it this way, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin that could bring, that could be made right with God through Christ. What this means is no more bloodshed has to be spilled. Grateful for that, right? No more wrongs need to be made right. Jesus is the cure for our aching heart and what he did on the cross for us. And what, what's beautiful about that is that we no longer have to hide our sin. We no longer have to be in fear that when we get exposed and we confess it, that we are going to be put to death, not only physically, but for eternity. That punishment. Jesus took the punishment for us. And so we can come to a holy and just God, but we can come to a God of, of mercy and grace because of Christ's blood upon our lives that we can experience that freedom and specifically that forgiveness that we have that we can come clean 
Isn't that a beautiful thing? Can I tell you the, the danger, and I tell you, it, and while some of you have experienced this, living a double life is very exhausting. And so if you're here today and you're living one life and you're proclaiming another, it will, it, it will catch up with you. And I tell you, if you don't deal with sin now, you'll have to deal with the sin later. You'll have to deal with it. And, and you know what? It'll happen in the most unexpected times and unexpected moments where it will come out and you will not be able to control the press coverage for it. It's, it's time to deal with it now. It's time to nip it in the bud. It's time to get your tank clean. What's there? What are the devoted things that you're holding on to that really don't belong to you at all? It belongs to God. That your heart can be freed and be open to receive and be devoted to him. I'm gonna invite our team to come as they lead us in this last closing song. This is this week's spiritual practices. I wanna invite you in to come to the Lord in an honest place, a position, confession recognizing this through the blood. If you're followed Jesus, the blood of Christ is upon you. So what that means is that you could come to him and he's holy and he's just, but he's merciful and filled with grace. And we can approach him with this, with honest hearts. And I love this, and this is a spiritual practice this week because I love the scripture, how we can search our aching heart with Psalms 139. This is what it reads in the message. It says, David prays this prayer. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong, and then guide me on the road to eternal life. I want to invite you to do that this week. In fact, I am going to do this every morning before the Lord, and come before him, because I know I can collect garbage along the day. I can, I can, I can, what I, what I watch or what I have conversations with and, and, and sometimes people tell me things I'm like, oh great, I can't un, unknow that now. Thank you very much. And, and we get collected the, just the, just the, the world and the trappings and everything and just to come clean to the Lord every morning. Lord, examine my heart, Lord. God, is there anything? And, and maybe even the end of the day is a good thing. Did you do morning and evening? Because I can see you do this at the end of the day going, God, where did I go wrong today? You know, what did I take in my mind today? What did I, what did I say today? What did I do? And, and, and actually, what am I dwelling upon that's not of you, Lord? Clean my tent. Clean, like, if there's anything that's not pleasing to you, Lord, just show me. And that's what David's praying. I think, what a, what a great thing we could do before the Lord each day. But we do that under Jesus Christ, who took the sin for us. And if you don't know Christ, you're watching online, you will suffer the consequence without Jesus one day. Don't let the eternal punishment be one day. You do not have to experience that. You and I, through what Christ has done, we can be forgiven and we can be free in him to go to him today. But I want to pray and I encourage you to do that this week and, and even you can identify some things here before we leave in prayer. But I want to leave you with this one last question because I think it goes back to the root issue. Because we got to ask the question, why do I do those things? Why am I so getting caught up in pride and possessions and pleasure and everything out there? It's because there's this underlying trust that what God has isn't as good as what I think I need. And here's the question I want to leave you with. What are you holding back and trusting God's best today? 
What is it that you think you still need to hold on to? What's still tucked in the corner of the tent of your heart that you're not willing to let go of? Because whatever that is, it's filled with fear because somehow you think you need this or need this person or need whatever it is, circumstance, better than what God has for you. And God's saying that in your closet that is what I want because that is keeping you away from me and my relationship with you. I encourage you today. God wants your best. I hope we answer the question. What's the, are the best days behind me? No. The best days are ahead of us. If we're willing to go for the Lord and say, God, I trust in your best for my life. Take away whatever's there. I, I commit it. I, I ask you to consecrate it. I ask you to, I confess it to you. And so Lord, I want it out of my life so I can be forgiven. And I love what Bible says as we come before a holy and just God, but a God of mercy and, and, and grace is this. The Bible says, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can we do that this morning? Will you bow with me as we go before our Lord today? God, Lord, I, I pray that today, this even this moment, this prayer will be a catalyst for us to do this every day this week and, and for our lives. That, Lord, we would come clean every day. Lord, we, when we rise in the morning or before we lay our head on the pillow and go to sleep, that we would come clean each day. Each day, Lord, we make accounts with you. Lord, show us, investigate our life. Lord, where is there sin? Where are we hiding things, that the devoted things that are getting away and distracting for our devotion to you that we need to let go? But even greater, Lord, why do we do that? Where are we not trusting you more? Where are we not trusting in what you have is the best for us? Lord, show us, guide us. And when we actually identify those things, may we confess them to you. And Lord, you are faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we have the power to do that now as a choice that we make. Lord, may we not wait till later, to later where we can't control our own press coverage, Lord. When we can't control any longer, Lord, may we not live in that denial because of our pride and our arrogance, Lord. May we come clean with you this day and this moment. And Jesus, you promise we, you are faithful and you're just and forgive us and cleanse us and to live this pure life that we can have. But continually going before you, continually each day, say, Lord, show us, guide us as we pursue you in holiness and the pathway of humbleness toward you. We trust that you are the best and you have the best in mind for us and the best days are ahead of us. We pray. We know and trust you in that. In Jesus' name, amen.